Vermont Viewpoint is a public affairs program produced and funded by WDEV and the Radio Vermont Group. We welcome listener feedback. Email your comments to vtviewpoint at radiovermont.com. From WDEV in Waterbury, welcome to Vermont Viewpoint. I'm Kevin Ellis. We come to you today from downtown Cabot. In fact, from Harry's Hardware Store, a downtown mainstay hit hard by the flood last month. Our show today is a continuation of a series of shows in the field we're doing to assess the damage of central Vermont flooding and tell the stories of our neighbors, what they faced on July 10th and 11th, and what they face today. We have a series of guests from Cabot who will be joining us at Harry's. Of course, the owners of Harry's will join us to tell their story of what happened here, and it was a lot. And we'll be joined by the chair of the select board to talk about flood relief sort of town-wide uh, and what, what's happening across the area and how he is leading the effort to recover. Uh, and we're going to be joined by a nonprofit, uh, the owners of a nonprofit called Neighbors in Action, which apparently fed this entire town for quite some time, uh, Cindy and Dale Brown. A couple of notes as usual. We're in a hardware store, so there's going to be noise. That's part of the fun. Uh, there's hammering going on down, out back. They are, they've literally rebuilt the entire uh, back of this store. At, the Winooski goes right behind here. And uh, there's a lot of gravel and a lot of stone that's been brought in. And carpenters are hard at work uh, bringing this place back to what it was. Many of you know this place. Uh, it is also the home of a place called The Den, which is uh, live music on Thursdays. Uh, craft beer. Uh, I've read that it's the only hardware store in New England that also has a craft beer live music venue. So here we are at Harry's Hardware. Uh, so uh, don't mind the noise. That's part of the fun. Uh, the gas pumps out front are not not operational because of the flood. And uh, whether they come back or not is another going to be another question. As always, we hope you'll join us with your questions and comments. The number to call is 244-1777 or email us at vtviewpoint at radiovermont.com. I sent out a Twitter uh, note about the show today, so check that out. It's good to have you all with us on the radio and online at wdevradio.com and on the free WDEV radio app. First up, our Friday essay. There was a lot of democracy and resilience happening last night at the Vermont State House. More than 250 people showed up for the second of three community meetings to discuss how to come back from the flood. The first was held at the Vermont College of Fine Arts, and last night, the folks showed up at the State House, divided into smaller groups to talk about the issues like emergency planning, the river, political leadership, and food systems. It was led by Montpelier citizen Paul Costello. The subgroups were led by facilitators, a who's who of city leaders and many, many others. They broke some news, actually. The organization that has sprung up called Montpelier Strong, which is the combo of Montpelier Foundation and Montpelier Alive, has now raised $1.6 million and is giving grants to local businesses and others to help them back on their feet. I was there pushing my proposal to form a working group slash think tank to write a report on how that flood happened and why. 
along with recommendations for future resilience. But a couple of things struck me as I was sitting there at this meeting. Uh, it took place at the State House, right? The most public of buildings, the site of so much history, debate, and political discussion. And all that happened again last night. People combining together to figure out how to live in this world that we have created. Two other things stood out. A man who I'd never seen before called on us to practice what he called colossal inclusion as we figure out this recovery. He says he's lived in Montpelier for 20 years and it's kind of reclusive, but take walk, takes walks around town early in the morning. He kept returning to that theme of colossal inclusion of everyone when it comes to recovery. And by the end of the evening, people began nodding in agreement at what first seemed like kind of a crazy idea. And then it be, got to be more serious as the, as the evening wore on. And then there was the discussion about how to make our food supply more resilient and strong to strengthen our local farms and even establish a kind of city farm somewhere in town to grow food, to keep people healthy. At that mention, applause broke out, at least among this crowd, the idea of feeding ourselves and breaking away from the giant corporate system of commerce seemed to get people very excited, more excited than think tanks and blue ribbon commissions and the politics of FEMA and grants and money. Uh, the idea of growing your own food seems to, and, and in, a, in, a, in a community and a local economy, seems to get people excited in a way that other issues don't. And I thought that was interesting. All this happened as the national political scene begins to accelerate and the future of the democracy is argued over once again. Let's summarize. Tonight in Milwaukee, the Republican candidates for president will gather for the first debate of the election season. Former President Donald Trump, the clear frontrunner, has chosen not to participate and is counter-programming his own show, which is an interview with the first with the fired Fox News personality Tucker Carlson. All that happens tonight. And then tomorrow, at Trump, the same Donald Trump wakes up and flies to Fulton County, Georgia, where he, where he will turn himself in to state authorities to be fingerprinted and photographed as the defendant in a fourth indictment around his attempts to defy the 2020 election and take over the government. There are 18 other defendants, some of, you, some of whom have already reported all accused of taking part in a conspiracy to stop the election from going forward and fomenting an insurrection at the Capitol that led to the deaths of several police officers. So on one side, we're watching a debate in the campaign for president, and the next day we are watching a criminal proceeding about a former president of the United States accused of trying to engineer a coup. We have never seen this before. But whether you are a citizen of Montpelier figuring out the flood recovery or a hardware store owner in Cabot, or a voter trying to figure out who should be president, we'll discuss it all right here in upcoming shows on WDEV. After the break, the owners of Harry's Hardware and The Den on what happened here July 10 and July 11. We are back. Coming to you live from Harry's Hardware in Cabot. Just a, just a personal note, I've spent some time here, by the way, coaching high school basketball. Greg Titus is at the soundboard 
Uh, he's a high school basketball coach. I coached in the Cabot gym uh, for many years, actually, and uh, have spent a lot of time here. And also, I took a drive through town this morning before I got here, and I looked at the soccer field where my kids used to play against the Cabot uh, school team, and uh, half of it recovered. Half of it looked like it was under, uh, obviously, the whole thing was probably underwater. We'll get that story Half of it is still kind of muddy, but it looks like there have been some machines uh, figuring out what to do with that field. Our first guests are the owners of Harry's Hardware, who watched as the Winooski River raged behind the store, tore off the back of the building, and threatened to break right through the front. Joanna Thibault and Gina Albareo are with us now to tell that story. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having us, Kim. Okay. Um, Joanna what happened here on July 10th and 11th? Uh, it kept raining. <laughs> it kept raining hard. Uh, I have to preface this with a, a, maybe a mild bit of complacency from the town because floods happened in 2011, not Irene, but the floods in May. And there was a, there was a flood here, and it happened because of the block culvert, and it got fixed. So I think a lot of us thought that it wasn't going to happen again. And, I mean, even me, I live right on the other side of the river, right here in town. Um, and my husband and I just got done stacking wood, yes, in the rain. Um, and it just kept raining. It was a nice summer rain. We were literally dancing in the rain to clean off, and we heard the river. It sounded like thunder, um, and it was just crazy. So we went over to check it out um, and, and look at it from our backyard. And we realized that what we were hearing were giant boulders being thrown down the river. It was raging that hard. Um, my husband came across the vast bridge that is now gone um, and decided to come check on the store. And when he got up here, he said that there was a trickle starting to come across the road from the culvert across the street. Um, right, right between the town hall and the Cabot garage. Um, actually that's where it was coming across, but the culvert itself is on the other side of the Cabot garage. Um, and they doubled it in size. They created two of them. Um, and, you just can't stop the debris from, from. So it plugged up like it did last time, and it plugged up fast. Um, we had just, Gina and I had just finished creating a brand-new beer garden on July 4th. We opened it up, beautiful flowers. My husband was like, I'm going to help save these flowers because he was like, all this stuff she did is going to blow, blow away. So he said, bring my truck. Get here as fast as you can. By the time I got here, within minutes, you couldn't even come into town. The flood had raged that hard. I parked the truck as best I could, ran across the street, probably at the last possible second, and we took merchandise off the porch, all the soil, the mulch and everything, and threw it at the door. And I think that is the only reason why the store itself was protected. I'm, and it turned within, you know, 10 to 15 minutes. It went from, you know, raging, oh, my gosh, this is a lot of water, to this is just flat-out dangerous. All of the soil, all of the ground on either side of the building had completely washed away. At that point, um, and I just looked at Rory and said, how do we get out of here? And he said, we got to go up. And I said, there is no up anymore. So we climbed up, the, we literally climbed up the stairs from where we were and got up to the porch and just looked at what we were standing on an island and watched everything wash away. Um, and it took a couple of hours before the fire department felt it was safe enough. Um, we were thinking everything was going to be okay. Things started to calm down. We got another rage of water, and they're like, we got to get you guys out of that building because it was just cutting away the building so bad that we we were worried it was going to collapse because the, the foundation was being severely undermined. 
on all the buildings. And uh, we, uh, a local farmer, we were standing there watching. There must have been at least half a dozen to a dozen tractors. Anybody that had one that could get to town drove it down the hill. And they were all surrounding us waiting for waiting for direction, anything that they could do. Um, and they were trying to berm the gas tanks on the side of our building because we didn't want that to continue washing away because it was going to become a hazardous problem. And they got close enough to us that one of the local farmers drove right up to the front door, lifted the bucket. We climbed in the bucket, and they took us across the street. Um, and my husband is a volunteer firefighter, so he immediately went to, I'm going to help what I need to do. I said, where should I go? He said, go home to the kids which were at my house, and we had no idea what was going on at the house. And it was it was pretty incredible just how quickly everybody came to help. Pretty remarkable. Uh, okay, let's, let's let that sink in. Uh, Gina, where were you when all this was happening? Um, I was rescuing my wife from her job. Uh, she couldn't get home, so I took my truck the plane field and picked her up and on the way back it happened so fast all route two was closed i headed up into the hills to try to make it around the marsh field and couldn't get past Marshfield to get home up route two went back up into the hills tried to get to cabot because i knew what was happening here it was hours of driving down dirt roads that were washed out every time we turned it was a dead end of flooding roads so I never did make it home. I found my way to a friend's house and spent the night there. And it, I knew what was happening in Cabot at the hardware store into the town, and I, I just couldn't get here hard. So I want to go. We we can stay with what happened, but I I want to ask the other question, which is you just referenced it. It was hard. I think all of us in Central Vermont, especially who were mucking out basements or experienced what you experienced have gone through a kind of trauma here uh, from what you saw and what you experienced, like, Oh, I'm in the building and it could collapse. Um, not to mention potentially losing your business and your livelihood. Uh, what was that? What's that like? Talk about that feeling. Um, yeah, it was a, it was a panicky feeling for sure. Um, we just in the in the moment, probably one of the scariest moments for me was realizing how powerful the water was and how fast it was. You don't think about that till you're and we were standing in it and feeling it get stronger. Um, it's so fast. Um, we finally got up to the porch, and my son, my oldest who's thirteen, um, was running across the road from our house to get my attention. And I almost had a heart attack. I was like, what are you doing in town? And I gestured to him to go home. And then they didn't answer the phone for like five minutes. So that was a sinking feeling of like, what's happening here? This happened so fast. What's happening in town? You know, what's happening, happening everywhere? Um, the woman that lives in the apartment upstairs was in a really precarious situation because we were like, we need to get out of here. We don't know if this building's going to stand. And she wouldn't leave her pet. And I think that that was really hard for a lot of people. Um you know, I can't leave here. I have nowhere to go. It's not safe for me here, but where to go. Um, and then, you know, we, we get rescued out and you watch the water come at you. We had cars flowing at the building, you know, we were, and it gets us. Um, I know that, I know that uh, Gina was saying that, you know, she would, she was having roads literally fall out as she's driving down them. I mean, it was, it was pretty traumatic. And um, 
I didn't realize how much it was affecting me until it wouldn't stop raining. Like we had multiple days within the same week where it kept raining. And I remember one night in particular, we were sitting down for dinner and it just started to pour. And without even realizing or having any control over it, I just started shaking and Bert was pounding. And I was like, wow, I didn't like, you just, all of a sudden you go there, you have no control over that part of your mind. And it is really traumatic and, um, and daunting. We came in the next day and we didn't really sleep, but I kept trying to delay coming to town. By delay, I mean, I didn't get here at 6 a.m. Like, I waited till 7, 7.30 and finally took a deep breath and was like, let's go see what actually happened and just walk in. And you're just like, you just don't even know. What did you see when you first came arrived? Uh, well, the the first thing I did was walk to the back. My husband said the, the bridge had gone. Um, I can see the back of the building from my house. So I looked at that first and was like, whoa, the river moved. We walked up here. Came inside. Thankfully, a lot of work had been done the night before. Uh, we moved a bunch of the mud away from the building, and the fire department was able to wash it off. So the front of the building looked great. The sides of the building were completely gone. We had ravines on both sides of the building. The building was undercut all around us. The tanks were completely exposed, uh, the gas tanks. And um, I walked in kind of going, where do I start? Where do I start? The volunteers just started showing up. My husband went immediately downstairs, which we had checked before we got rescued. Um, and he said, "Hun, you need to come down and look at something. And I was like, okay. And he goes, I need you to take a deep breath. And I'm like, all right. So he grabbed my hand and we went down the stairs and we were relieved. We we're like, oh, the night before, we we're like, it's only a couple of feet of water and it drains because we have a drainage system in the basement. Okay, I can do this. It's just mud. And we found out that the back of the building was literally undermined and, and the floor was gone. So our entire plumbing, electric, a bunch of our storage, the entire storage shed on the side had been completely washed away. Um, and it, it was just, it was astounding. You know, I'm like, I literally don't know where to go at this point. It was, it was, a, it was a lot. But. Gina, when did you get here when you were stuck at your friend's house? It probably in Marshfield somewhere up in the hills. It was, in Cabot. It was in Cabot. Um, but on a other note, when you were talking about the trauma, there were times where we were driving over dirt roads that had rising water and I would stop the truck and be like, Roll down your window, take your seatbelt off. We have no idea what's going to happen here. Not knowing we were, whether we were going to get washed down a newly formed river. <laughs> so this, when you think of the trauma, it was pretty traumatic. But that night when uh, I was able to get to our friend's house, I was in connection with one of the other volunteer fire department people, and they said they think that the water had receded enough to drive down Route 2. So I'm only, it was only five minutes away, so I was able to get here about 1230 and I just needed to come give Dwayne a hug and maybe have a little cry. And so the fire department was here all night. And I'm part of the fire department, so I talked with them a little bit and talked with Rory, Joanna's husband, and just gave a lot of people hugs. And it was, it was very upsetting. Mm -hmm. Okay. And here we are a month later, more than a month later. Uh, what's going on here? This place is operational. Uh, the usual guys are standing out front, uh, hanging out, and Harry's Hardware is open. Uh, are you? We took a little tour out back and saw what you're doing out back. Describe what's what you've done in the last month and what you face going forward. I kept using this phrase for a while that every day felt like a week because so much was happening. Um, the day after the flood, 
this place was, I mean, something we can talk more about, too, is this place was full of all, we probably have 30 people in here, not more. I went through all of these emotions through the evening and sitting down with a glass of wine with Gina the night before, just trying to find some peace so that we could relax a minute and going, I don't know what this is. And we came in in the morning and I'm like, I know what this means. We mean something to these people. They want us to be open. Um, and somehow, by some miracle, Rory and I happened to get here at just the right. Literally, if we had been here moments before, we would have not known something was going to happen. And had we been here moments later, we would not have been able to get here um, to keep the water out of the store. And that meant that while the back of the store looks like a construction zone right now, and we lost our gas tanks and all of this, um, we're we're here and we can be a community center. And like that instilled a whole new life in us. It was still a chaotic sprint for the first few weeks. Now we're kind of in this marathon of, you know, we need to be here. We need to be here. And so we're just, we're trying to make lemonade out of this and use this as a chance to reinvent some things that we know we needed to clean up and just really take this momentum and be like, we need to be better than ever. We need to be out of this stronger and better than we were before. But, uh, this is not the kind of place that has a million dollar reserve. So, and you've got, you've got a team of carpenters out there. There's more gravel. You could sink a ship out back. You've rebuilt the, the entire backside of the store. It's going to cost a lot of money. Uh, how do you deal with your, you, you have a landlord who owns the building. Um, God, the guys walking through here who watched basketball with me, Okay, we we got we got criminals walking in Harry's Hardware here. Uh, just just a little side note: our kids used to play basketball in the cabbage gym against each other, and we and other places too. So it's good to see you. Sorry for the interruption, everybody. <laughs> um, it's going to cost a lot of money. You're spending a lot of money. Your landlord's spending a lot of money. Where's it all going to come from? Uh, well, and I think, you know, I asked that question not to put you on the spot, but because every, you know, my favorite bookstore, Bear Pond Books in Montpelier, they're all facing the same thing. You know, nobody has flood insurance. Nobody has uh, what they do have is a working partnership with a landlord. And they're sitting down and having the hard conversations about who pays for what. Yep, that's exactly what's happening. <laughs> uh, Gina and I definitely don't come for money. So um, we immediately started a GoFundMe um, to tell our story. It's not in our makeup to ask for anything. So it was it was hard. But we also saw that there were a lot of people. We have a, we have managed to make connections with people, not just locally, but we have a lot of folks nationally. And they just wanted to help. So I was like, well, if we send up a GoFundMe page, then they can feel like they're helping contribute. And the response was overwhelming. I still can't believe that will, you know, it'll be a huge bet. Every dollar counts. Right now, you're at $43,400. $43,000 more than I ever expected we'd get. Um, and that's just from people that want to help. And then we're, we're, we're chasing grant money like everybody else. Um, if it comes down to it, we will probably, I mean, we're going to make it happen. I don't know how. But right now, I think we're just like, just do it and we'll figure it out. <laughs> so if we have to take out an SBA loan, that's what we're going to do. But it's... It's the same. It's the same situation for everybody. Okay. On that note, we're going to take a break, and we're going to come back and talk about what comes next. Mm-hmm. 
We're back. It's Vermont Viewpoint. I'm Kevin Ellis, and we're coming to you live from Harry's Hardware Store in downtown Cabot. And we're telling stories of uh, flood experience, uh, flood recovery, flood resilience. And we're joined now by Mike Hogan, who's the chair of the select board, and he's going to tell us uh, what he, how they're going to deal with what he calls a mess. Mike Hogan, welcome to the show. Thanks, Thanks for having me on this morning. Okay, where were you on July 10th and 11th when this started? Well, on July 10th, uh, I was in my home in Lower Cabot, which is outside the village, um, south of the village, and watching my fields be flooded and my cows not knowing <laughs> what to do, uh, which we rescued them and brought them up to the fence line. But I saw the waters filling up Lower Cabot area. Uh, we live in a lower part of the village, and the village, the lower portion of the village was flooding at that time uh, and people had driven cars down various roads they couldn't get out they were basically isolated in lower cabot I was trying to get to the village which i couldn't because the bridge was flooded out uh, going north into town here what happened to my favorite uh cabot greenhouse nursery uh i think uh, gary gary katz's i think gary's got some water but i think he didn't get shape i think he's okay yeah i've talked to him a few times but yeah, it was it was quite a mess, and not realizing what everything looked like on the next morning, on the 11th, I did a short drive around the area just to kind of survey the roads, inventory the roads and the damage, and I was just shocked at the amount of erosion and washouts, and most of our roads were basically unpassable at this point. Uh, and as we went through the day, we saw how really bad things were. Uh, and the main, a lot of the main damage, not to put the roads in a lower position, but the the village sustained a lot of damage to the infrastructure. The roads uh, in front of the stores, which we're sitting in right now, uh, behind the Willie building where the town clerk resides, uh, that culvert that's next to the town garage, if we wouldn't have had machinery there the night before of pulling out all the trees and the rocks, it probably would have destroyed most of the road out front here and these stores would have been gone most likely. And that. That sounds extreme, but that's how bad it was. So the night of the flood, you had machinery uh, doing we what? Bringing, we had people that were coming into town with excavators and other equipment, and we parked a couple of them behind the Cabot garage uh, behind me. And they, as the trees were coming down from the mountain behind the store, uh, uh, behind the garage, excuse me, uh, they were pulling these trees out and basically trying to unblock the culvert. We had a double-sized culvert. It goes under the road, goes past the store here. And the amount of water and debris that, debris that were coming through was just amazing. And if it wasn't for them, it would have been a worse disaster. We wouldn't be sitting in this building this morning. Were they concerned about their own safety? I don't know because I wasn't physically down here, but I'm sure they were scared. It was pretty dangerous because it wasn't just trees. It was rocks so big boulders. Yeah, they said they had never experienced anything like this before. What, what was your first thought when you woke up sort of day two as the chair of the select board? What started going through your mind? That I had a really big job to do the next few weeks, months, to bring Cabot back to some kind of uh, uh, situation where it was prior to the flood, bring, bring some normalcy to the town. And the other good thing that we found out is that nobody lost their lives. We didn't have any fatalities, which was good, that were related to the flood. So we just had a big job before us. Our select board met, 
We had a couple of emergency meetings and basically said, we're just going to tackle this. And I just basically took over as the flood relief coordinator because I had the most time. Everybody else was working, didn't have the abilities to uh, get involved in it. So I took it over and hopefully used some of my government experience to help me kind of administer this stuff. So here we are. You have a previous career as the chair of the Liquor Control Board for the state of Vermont, right? Commissioner of Liquor Control, right. So I think some experience there, I think, helped me as far as organizational skills and who to call and uh, how to get things moving. So, But it's been a concerted effort. The town really came together. I've never seen so much volunteerism in my whole life. Every piece of equipment people could find was brought into town. You know, The first morning... We were trying to clear out six or eight inches of mud in the parking lot behind us in Willie Building, which houses the town clerk. And um, everybody was contributing. Sand, people were sandbagging. People were going door to door, pumping up basements, shoveling mud. I'm sure it was all throughout central Vermont, the same thing. But it's just an amazing, amazing effort of people helping. Me. How about the creamery? Uh the Cabin Creamery, which exists, has here has been here for a thousand years, as I like to say. Uh, any damage there? Not that I'm aware of. Uh, they probably had a little bit, but I'm not too aware of what, what went on there. Basically, I'm just worried about the town. Um, okay, so give us the checklist. As chair of the select board, what's the checklist? Well, um, our bridges did pretty well. We've got a couple that just need some repair. Uh, the let me start in Lower Cabot, where I live. The uh, Sawmill Dam, which is on uh, Sawmill Road, used to be a a, a wood uh, a wood business there years ago, and there was a sawmill there, and the water basically ran some hydro power. They, they cut logs. That dam basically blew away, and when that dam released, uh, it sent all the sediment and debris downriver and into Lower Cabot, uh, which... Uh, filled a lot of fields up with debris. Um, so that that was a big deal, uh, that, that dam going out. And um, lots of damage on the roads in that area, lots of... We maintain 60-plus miles of roads in Cabinet. Most of them were damaged. We've been fixing them for a month and a half now. So uh, the rest of the damage is you go north into town, the business district, I'm sure... Uh, People from the den talked to you about that. Uh, the pavement actually buckled out here. The water was so powerful, it actually lifted the pavement up. I have a log in my office, which was under the pavement, actually, and then the pavement settled down back on top of the log. Um, let's see. Um, the damage to all the stores, the uh, all the homes in the northern part of the village here, lots of damage in homes. I mentioned earlier, basements pumped out. Uh, you know, piles of debris in the yard, which were cleared away. How about homeowners? People lose their homes? Uh, there's a couple that are just kind of on the edge right now. But overall, I think people were able to get through this, clean their basements out, get rid of all the debris, and hopefully go back and start life normal again. Um, we had a lot of damage down by the northern end of town. That bridge down there was trees were actually wrapped around the bridge. The recreation field that the town uses was covered with silt and sewage because we had a couple of sewer pipes break. Uh, and that, that's been somewhat cleaned up. Um, and then um, 
the damage to the road, lots of culverts. Uh, we had to put a bridge up on Menard Road because the, 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 the hole was so large and the road so deep. Uh, BGS gave us a bridge. BGS gave you a bridge? So that's the Depart State Department of Buildings and General Services. What do you mean by they gave you a bridge? I mean, they let us use a bridge that was 95 feet long to cover this. this. It just, they just truck it up here on a yeah, truck? Bell of Spring it up, and we helped them lay it out. And now people can get across to their farms. There was a bunch of farms up there that were basically isolated. So that was in the early days. Uh, we've done a ton of work on back roads, put down a ton of material. Put in lots of culverts. Uh, we have a two-man road crew with a shorter person. So we've depended on local folks that Cabot happened to have a lot of people that had excavation businesses, amazingly, and had equipment. So they came to our rescue, whereas a lot of towns were really hard up trying to find people. And I think they're still struggling with the roads. But I, I would say that we're pretty much 95% fixed, temporarily fixed. There'll be some permanent fixes later, but overall, I think uh, we're in good shape. And we're meeting with, uh, the mentioned to you earlier, we're meeting with FEMA today to talk about public assistance, which is the part of FEMA that reimburses towns and municipalities for the damages incurred during a disaster like this flood that we So we're hoping they're going to be able to help us so we don't have to um, pick up the tab with the taxpayer here. So, yeah, Mike, are you, do you have any estimates yet about what all of this is going to cost short-term and long-term? Is too early? <clears throat> I think it's too early. Yeah, it is because we um, – one thing I did forget to mention, which was really important, was our fire station. The fire marshal came in and is going to red tag the building, I believe, today, which is basically it's damaged beyond – it's basically condemned point. We moved all of our, our apparatus out of the buildings at different parts of town, and we're constructing. We're going to be constructing a temporary building north of town here by the rec field in a stable area. So FEMA is helping us with that. We just put out um, a bid today for people to bid on the building to build it for us, and um, that the banks just basically were giving away on the west side of the road, on the Winooski side, and. Um, all the way down through cabin into lower cabin, and I'm sure past Plainfield and beyond. The Winooski lost lots of ground. It's just eroded away, and it doesn't even look like the same river. Mike, we talked off air about you didn't sign up for this. Uh, the job of select board is usually zoning issues, dog complaints, and, and you know, this is a whole, you've got to become an amateur hydrologist uh, overnight, right? Yeah, I, I think I've, I've learned a lot more than how to deal with dog issues in town ordinances. So it's been kind of a, um, a a big learning curve, but I think something that we're able to do in the town. But I was just saying earlier that I think the town is in pretty good condition right now. We've got majority of our roads done, uh, at least on a temporary basis. The downtown is looking better. Uh, it'll be paved probably in another month or so. The sidewalks will be put back. Uh, but I think the bigger bigger job ahead is what do we do as a town uh, and as a state to prevent uh, this from happening again. So it's a big issue on flood mitigation and flood resiliency, whatever you want to call it, and what's the next steps Cabot and other communities, at least in the Winooski watershed, have to take to divert this amount of water. Uh, what's the proper steps to take? 
we're really concerned about it as a town. We're hopefully having a meeting soon to see if we can get some thoughts locally. But I'm sure there's going to be a lot of uh, talk about this continued in Montpelier in the coming legislative session, I'm sure. So, yeah, I'm proud of the way things are in the town. Everybody has contributed. We're, a, a, I think, a perfect example of Vermonters that volunteer uh, and they just give it their all. So I'm proud to be living here in Canada. It, I, at our meeting in Montpelier at the State House last night, I sat next to Washington Senator Ann Cummings, who's chair of the Senate Finance Committee. Uh, and she, you know, she's getting ready for, I mean, they are not the answer, but they are a bank. Uh, and they're going to be called upon for money, right? Yeah, Senator Cummings has been here twice. She was here probably in the middle of the process and her and I chatted for a while. We've known each other for quite a few years, having testified before her committee. But she's a great resource, her and the Washington County delegation. We had the congressional delegation, too. Senator Welch, Senator Sanders, uh, Rebecca Ballant was here. So, yeah, we've made everybody we can think of aware of what's going on in the cabinet. Not a, afraid to call people and talk to them. Uh, keep going down the list, though. Let, let's talk about because there's going to be disagreement going forward. When things settle down, we're going to argue about flood mitigation and how to deal with the Winooski. we got a lot of people talking about dredging down in Montpelier, and they, uh, most people are t- who understand rivers are saying, that's a mistake. That'll just speed it up. Uh, wh- where are you on that? Uh, I mean, I'm not an engineer, so I can't really speak to those kind of issues. I just know that I think if it's even possible, some of the responsibility could be shifted to landowners that have streams on their property. If there's a way for the town to work with landowners to keep their streams relatively clear of large debris, it would help us in the long run. You get into a whole bunch of issues and our issues as far as working in the stream bed. That's the Agency of Natural Resources, the Environmental Agency permits to get involved in the stream bed. So anything that could prevent debris from entering the streams, destructive debris, not messing with habitat or any of that stuff, but destructive debris, uh, which we faced in the storm, uh, it would be a good thing. I'm not sure how that's going to all be worked out, but um, I think Cabot is willing to work with anybody to give us some ideas how to move forward and not face this catastrophe. Uh, uh, the governor is going to be live at, I believe, 11 o'clock uh, with a flood update at a press conference. What's what's his role here? What should he be doing? Well, the governor is the voice for the state. You know, uh, Governor Scott, he's a great person. He's I think he's really on top of things. He's um, he's a hands-on person, and he personally knows Washington County really well. So I think he understands the issue of the Winooski River and some of the problems we've had. And I hope he's going to encourage his administration to uh, be a little bit flexible with the towns and the Winooski watershed to uh, mitigate some of these issues that we're having and to come up with some real constructive direction uh, for us here, in, at least in Cabot, and I'm sure our sister communities are downstream. So I hope he's going to take charge. Uh, you have to get back to work at City Hall, What what's on your, literally, what are you doing today? Well, we're meeting with Cena this morning, who's come in to deal with the 
public assistance portion of FEMA's responsibilities. And what that does is that that's the part where towns are reimbursed uh, for all the work they did on all the damages in their community that was incurred by the flood. So we're going to sub- be submitting to FEMA various invoices for all the road work, all the culverts, all the work in town that has to deal with our municipality and our responsibilities. And hopefully they're going to reimburse us. The town doesn't have to hold the bag, so to speak. Do you have any idea what this is going to cost? It's in the millions. Uh, I don't. I don't. I don't know if it's going to be in the millions, but it's going to be a lot of money. I don't have the numbers yet, but we're working through it. We're so, so town meeting in March is going to be an interesting, uh, <laughs> an interesting. Uh, I mean, property taxes. Uh, property taxes went up a little bit. Uh, right now because of the uh, we had some increases in our budget but the effect of the flood on next year we don't know yet it's just it's all speculation mike what have you learned as a result of this as a town official that you didn't know before um that's a really good question i hope i've learned something out of this <laughs> it kind of a it's kind of a humbling situation to be in to be uh Trying to lead the the uh, the program here to bring Cabot back, and it's not just me. I just happen to be the chair of the board, but uh, all everybody in this town that has a responsibility um, to basically kind of come up to the bar and and help out the, in the community you live in, whatever responsibility you have, whether you're you know plowing snow or you're on the select board or you're on the zoning commission or you're a list or whatever you do. Um, but uh, I've learned, I guess the overall lesson is I've learned that I can really trust my neighbors in Cabot. They really, they really have your back, and people have really worked together. And as I mentioned earlier, it's so proud to be part of this community. You know, one last question before we let you go. As I was driving in here from Montpelier, uh, coming through Lower Cabot, which has got to be one of the more beautiful, uh, ro- scenic drives in all of Vermont, um, I'm glad those fields were open so that the water could flow into those fields. And uh, we're all talking about building affordable housing. If there were housing projects there, uh, we'd they'd be in trouble. They'd be in big trouble. So we need those fields open, right? Yeah, we do. Uh, I don't know if it's just for scenery or if it's the, uh, like, I lost a lot of, uh, of the banks on my property in Lower Cabin and my neighbors did too. Um, it is a beautiful area. I don't know if we'll ever be able to have housing down there just because of the floodplain issues. Uh, but I hope our community continues to grow and we'd be kind of, we'd be resilient and figure out ways to expand our community, encourage others to good community. Mike Hogan is the chair of the select board of Cabot. Thank you very much for joining us. Okay. <laughs> so, He's now going to walk back across the street to the Willie building and, and get back to work. Uh, what, what's the first thing on your, on your list, Mike? Uh, can you pay for this FEMA? <laughs> he's going to, he's going to go meet with FEMA. Take care. And uh, he's going to go do something at Harry's hardware. I don't think he's going to get a citizen cider or a craft beer yet, but he's, he's going to get a bag of peanuts or something. Uh, there's something going on here in Cabot, and it's hard to describe, but uh, the scene where Johanna Tebow described a horde of tractors surrounding her store 
during the flood uh, to save lives, basically. Um, that, that's what this was about on July 10th. People were saving each other's lives. And it's interesting, you interview these people, and about mid-sentence, uh, oftentimes tears well up in their eyes because they are, they're, they're still very close to what happened here. And, and this is, as I said, this is the fourth uh, time we've done this. We've done Montpelier and Barry and then Johnson. We seem to like hardware stores. We did, uh, we did Nelson's Hardware and Barry. Uh, we're going to keep coming back uh, to this subject because these are uh, powerful stories we've got to keep telling. And I'm Kevin Ellis. You're listening to Vermont Viewpoint. We will be right back uh, on the Friendly Pioneer WDEV. Did you know that Radio Vermont Group Digital Services can create videos including drone footage? We've even won awards for our videos. If you'd like to learn more and see examples of our work, go to rvgdigital.com. Radio Vermont Group. We're more than just radio. We're back. It's Vermont Viewpoint. I'm Kevin Ellis on the friendly Pioneer WDV. I'm, I'm just getting from the owner of Harry's Hardware the schedule. Uh, can you yell it out from over there again? There's Thursday night is locals night. Am I allowed? I'm from East Montpelier. Okay, it's local drinking. Okay. Okay. So Cabot people, Cabot residents are no, known as Cabotians. It depends. Yeah. I think yeah, Cabotters. Okay. And Saturday night, this is at the den in Harry's hardware. What's Saturday? Live music, seven to nine. Oh, old time chances. Okay. Sundays, noon to two. Harry's hardware. The den is a place within Harry's hardware that, uh, you can sit at the bar in a tractor-like stool and drink a lot of local beer. I see the shed over there. Uh, heady Topper? No Heady Topper. That's right. No Heady Topper on draft. Okay. All right. Well, with that taken care of, I'll be back hopefully on Saturday night. Uh, our, our next guest is Dale Brown, and he is the uh, – head of coordinator of something called Neighbors in Action, which played and still plays a significant role in flood recovery. Uh, but before, so welcome. Thank you very much. Welcome. Thank you. First, first of all, I'm, I want to ask you what I've asked everybody else is where were you the night of July 10th? <laughs> Actually, I lived just up the road here in the middle of Main Street. So I was right in the thick of whole thing, you know, uh, yeah, my wife and I have a house there on Main Street. What, what happened? Did you, you come up, were you sitting on your couch watching TV? Were you, I mean, I was, as I remember, our, my mother-in-law was visiting from Washington, D.C., and the rain just kept coming, and I started thinking, uh, we're going to have to carry her out somewhere, but what, what were you thinking? Um, we were having thoughts of maybe having to leave our house. Uh, the river behind our house was backing up and coming into our backyard. Fortunately, it didn't get it, make it to the house itself. But um, it flooded my backyard with eight to ten inches of river muck. And everybody knows what that muck is like. And uh, uh, 
I remember it kept going down in the cellar, checking my sump pump. And when the water went over the top of the pump, I was getting a little. But then same, it, same with me. So then when it went over the top of the barrel that the sump pump sets in, and then I started getting really nervous. So I made a couple phone calls and got a second sump pump and put that in the cellar. And then that went underwater itself and just continued running, running, running. But I um, ended up with about two and a half feet of water. But it didn't come from the river. It came from the ground. There was just so much rain. Before we get to Neighbors in Action, can I ask you a provocative question? And that is, uh, I don't think a lot of people live in a community where when things start going bad, you quote, as you just said, make a couple of calls and get a second sump pump. And then you install it and you start pumping water. I'm not sure that goes on where I grew up in uh, suburban New Jersey. Who did you call? How does that work? Um, Another volunteer at Neighbors in Action, uh, Rodney Hooker. Um, He's also on the volunteer fire department in Walden. And he came down. He he said, I have a brand new one sitting here in the box. Welcome to use it. He came down that evening, brought it down. And before he could leave my house, water had jumped the bridge at the north end of town. And he couldn't get back home. But he was also on the volunteer fire department and they needed him to be up there to help rescue people out of houses up there gotten flooded and needed to be rescued so he stayed through the whole operation yeah that's where i got my uncle okay tell us about neighbors in action neighbors in action is a is a foundation that, that our main mission is feeding people and we do that by doing a uh, uh, food distribution every other week, and um, we give out boxes of food to people that just drive up and say they need food. And uh, we, like I said, we do that every other week. And last week we put out 325 boxes of food. Where does this take place? It takes place at the, uh, they call it the Mason's Hall, uh, just up the other end of town. We're in the process of actually trying to buy that building so it will become a permanent home of neighbors in action. Time owns that building, rented it years. And how did the flood affect your food making capability, if at all? Um, we actually couldn't couldn't do our food share on that following Wednesday because of all the going on town and you couldn't even get in and out of town. So that was the first first food share we had missed in, I can't remember how long. And uh, yeah, so then the next food share, which came two weeks later, we just were bombarded with people with desperate food. This happens how often? Every two weeks. Every two weeks. And, and people show up and they can get a grocery bag and bag it with groceries? They get a box of food pertaining uh, pertaining to the size of their family. Um, We have like what we call one-two boxes, which is for a lot of of elderly people come that are just, you know, two people. 
and they get a smaller box, and then we go all the way up to a seven nine box, which feeds a large family. And uh, yeah, you just drive up, tell them, you know, the size of your family, and it's not like you have to show ID or uh, you know how how scrupulous are you in making sure that you know humans being humans, sometimes we think, oh, everyone's cheating all the time. Uh, how do you run the place? Um, they do have to fill out a small form. Um, it has their name on it, the town they come from, and the size of their family. And uh, there's income guidelines, but we don't really get into that. If, if, you, if you need food bad enough to come ask for it, we will give it to you. How long have you been doing this? Uh, I've been doing it 15 years. My wife has been doing it for 18 years. Neighbors in Action has been around for probably 20 or 22 years. Yeah. And what brought you to Cabot? Um, I lived here in Cabot for 15 years. Um, <laughs> I had to do some community service, so I went and volunteered to help at the food share where I met my wife today. We've been married five years. And, uh, yeah, I just, she kept saying, well, I'm not going to give you extra hours because then you won't come back. <laughs> but I did come back. God, you cannot leave us hanging. you got to keep telling that story about how you met your wife. <laughs> so, yeah. We, she she gave you extra hours so you'd keep coming back? Uh, yeah, I'm not going to give you extra hours because I want to keep you coming back. And I, and I assured her that I would continue to come back which I did, yeah, 15 years later, still there. And uh, why, do you do anything else besides the food boxes? Um, we have a couple of uh, other programs going on. Uh, we have a thing called Senior Adventures, where we, we bring seniors in. Uh, my wife cooks them a meal, and they play games and socialize and, and uh, do that do that once a month or every other every other week um several other programs that that are they're in their infancy yet they haven't really taken too much but um yeah it's mostly just trying to get community oriented and and get folks together for any reason we can think of just support the town support the local people and uh, yeah uh, how has the flood changed, if at all, your outlook on the town? There is there a pre-flood Cabot and a post-flood Cabot. What's you know? Talk to us about what's going on here now. Yeah. Um, actually, I've known Cabot to be a very tight community. Um, neighbors helping neighbors. Um, the post Cabot just really brought out the, it's sad to, that a tragedy could bring out the good in people, but it was amazing, the outpouring of, of volunteers and people that came together. Um, the second day after the flood, Neighbors in Action Building had three feet of water in it that we couldn't get out. So my wife and I went down to the Willie Building to meet with Mike Hogan, who was also on the fire department, and, we, and uh, we wanted to see if we could get our basement pumped out. 
And the minute we walked in the room, they said, we were just talking about you guys. And they wanted us to open a soup kitchen to feed the volunteers in town that were pouring into town. So my wife and I started cooking and, and preparing lunches and dinners and, and volunteers come and we feed them. Uh, that went on for 14 days straight. It's, it just, every day people come in for lunch and then it got to be kind of a place where, where the firemen, town guys, the town crew could come and sit and have a lunch and talk about the next plan or what they were going to do. And, uh, yeah, it was a big deal. We served a lot of people. We put out, uh, estimate 3,300 meals and 2,100 sandwiches, bagged lunches for the workers in that 14. How did you get the supplies? Wasn't wasn't uh, two thirteen the road coming into Cabot uh, closed because of the flood? How'd you get the food in here? Um, a lot of it came from good people at Cabot. Um, we put out a word that we needed um, desserts and stuff, and people started baking stuff at home and bringing it in to donate. Um, had an awesome couple from Jericho, Vermont, that, that um, saw us on the Channel 3 News, we had a little clip there about, and people outside of Cabot had no idea what happened to Cabot until until that news story aired, and they called right up the next day, and what can we do? And my wife said, well, you know, we need lunch meat, we need snacks, we need bread, we need cheese, we need that kind of thing. And this couple went to Costco and showed up the next day with a whole carload carload of meat and and food, you know, just everything it, it took to do that for the next 14 days, a lot of it came from them, them two people. And did they just then drop it off and then go away and you haven't seen them since? No, no, we haven't seen them since. It was just for the goodness of heart. Phenomenal. Unbelievable. Dale, I, I want to go back to that story of the folks who went to Costco and delivered all this food. Can you tell that again? Yes. Um, it was probably three or four days after flood that um, I don't think anybody really knew exactly the extent of how hard Cabot had gotten hit. And my wife and I were standing outside and Channel 3 News by stopped. And they did a little piece about us and what was going on in Cabot. The day after that aired on Channel 3 News, this couple from Jericho called said, we understand you're feeding a lot of people volunteers and stuff. What can we do? What do you need? And so my wife, Cindy, told them, uh, you know, like we need, we need luncheon meat, we need bread, we need snacks, crackers, you know, that sort of stuff to put lunches together for the workers out in and the very next day, they came, they'd been to Costco, and they filled their car, I mean filled their car, as full as you could fill a car, with all this stuff to donate. And that, that carried us through for, for the whole three weeks that we that we did that project. So a lot of it, all the stuff that they had brought, you know, among other people that were bringing in home, 
home baked goods for desserts and it just yeah. Bobby Cyril's donated, you know, meat and bread and Bobby Cyril's the owner of Cabot's store. And uh we called our volunteers in and my wife and her good friend Sue Slav and they all got together and just did what had to be done. You know, Dale, there's something about Cabot that I, strikes me as a little different than, say, Montpelier or Barry uh, or even Johnson. There's a sense here that, and I've been here a lot over the last 30 years, there's a sense here that it's, it's, a, it's a town unto itself, um, a little cut off uh, in a good way from all the craziness of the world, uh, people looking after each other. You know, when when I have friends that come visit us in Montpelier, they think, wow, this is a really tiny town. And I feel like saying to them, wow, you've never been to Cabot. Um, you know, it's a, it's a different kind of place. And that sense of everybody getting on their tractor and their excavator that night on J- July 10th and uh, doing whatever needed to be done. Can you take us back to that night and the next day and the, and the week after and just what happened here? What did you see? Yeah. Um, the main story that sticks in my mind uh, was sitting on my couch. It's about 8 o'clock at night. The rain is just relentless. And I hear this noise. Clickety clock, clickety clock, clickety clock. Coming up Main Street. And so I stepped out on my porch, and here comes a local contractor, excavator, went up Main Street. Uh, to get to the bridge at the upper end of town that had blocked up with all kinds of debris and trees and him and another person on the other side of the river uh, with another excavator cleared the bridge to stop the water from coming around because that's what caused all the flooding to the houses up. Um, and he was there I think it was like 2 o'clock in the morning when I heard him clickety-clacking back down through town and they had managed to open that bridge up and leave the pressure and the water. If not for them, the water would have came all the way down Main Street. And this hardware store would have been gone. Well, this hardware store suffered from another brook that runs underneath the cabin garage, um, where that culvert had plugged and came around and came between the cabin garage and Willie building and just headed straight line right for this right for the for the store hardware Harry's hardware and uh yeah they had their own issues on top of the river running behind them it just looked like a double whammy here at the hardware store really devastating Dale Brown where are you from and how did you get to Cabot um I've lived in Vermont all my life although I was born in New Hampshire ouch ouch but I, we we lived in Vermont. I just was born in, in across the river in North Haven. But anyways, um, yeah, I've always been here. And and what what happens to neighbors in action now? The flood is over. You're still feeding people, but how do you look at the future as you come out of this flood and you continue to recover here? Yes. Well, um, the town. The town owns the building that we that we work out of, and the building is a perfect fit for what we do. 
and the town wanted to sell the building. So we immediately wanted to start a fundraiser to, to purchase the building so that Neighbors in Action would have a permanent home. And uh, the outpouring and support of, of, of contributions has, has just been unbelievable. And we've raised, we thought we could raise enough money to maybe at least get a down payment and finance the rest. No, we went completely to the top of our goal. Can you tell us how much you raised? Uh, I think it was $150,000 purchase this building. So let me ask you this. This is not a wealthy place. Um, it's not a place with a lot of second homeowners from, uh, you know, New York and Boston. And, uh, you know, the GoFundMe here at the hardware store, $43,000. You raised a hundred plus. It's, People are digging deep, clearly. Yep, they are. And, and a lot of it was small contributions, $50, $100. You know, this all adds up. Um, we, started a, we started doing a bingo night uh, for contributions to, to buy the building. Um, that's turned into a, a great success. And, you know, every Thursday night we do a little bingo game, and it's more about the fun and the camaraderie at the food, it's always about the food, you know, feeding people. And uh, it just, the money just came, it just came to us. Some small donations, some large donations. Are you still raising money? Um, we're raising money to to do some improvements to the building now. After We haven't purchased it yet. We're going to purchase it. But, um, yeah, we're still taking contributions into uh so we, there's things that need to be changed. We need a new loading dock, door, et cetera, things like that. Where can people go to donate to this effort? Um, Neighbors in Action has a website that you can go on and follow the instructions and you can contribute that way. So just Google Neighbors in Action, Cabot, Vermont. It'll come up and go to that. Uh, go to the donate button. It's really easy. Or just drop in and we'll be happy to, to put your money in the fund. Okay. Uh, I'm a little flummoxed because my college classmate just walked in this hardware store after 40 years of not seeing her. Um, we're going to, we're going to take uh, a break in a second, but so go to, go to Dale Brown's website at neighbors in action, uh, hit the donate button, contribute to their fund, which they're going to use to buy the building where they serve meals every other week to the people of Cabot. Easy, easy peasy. Uh, Dale Brown, thank you for joining us. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much for having me. It's good to get the word out what we're doing. Uh, can I come back? Can I come back to Cabot on Saturday night for, for local music? It's not just a Cabot only thing. Even people from like downtown Montpelier, they're welcome. I mean, we'll even visit with you and still talk to me and we'll let you buy us a beer. And, <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's all good. Uh, this is getting better and better. Um, I will be back Saturday night, barring other uh, very important things going on in my life. The Dead at Harry's Hardware, Saturday night at what time? Seven o'clock. What's the, what's the act? Troy Millette. God, fantastic. Okay. I'm Kevin Ellis. 
It's Vermont Viewpoint. And thank you to Dale Brown, Mike Hogan, and uh, and the others here at Harry's Hardware. And we'll be right back. Uh, you're listening to the friendly pioneer, WDEV. We're back. It's Vermont Viewpoint. The crowds are gathering here at Harry's Hardware because uh, well, there's all sorts of things happening. But we are... Back with the owners of Harry's Hardware, uh, and their names are Johanna, Joanna Tebow and Gina Alvareo. Uh, and they're smiling, which uh, a lot of people are smiling here because the sun's out. But these people have been through uh, hell and back, and I'm not sure they're back. Uh, Gina, you wanted to follow up on something we talked about uh, earlier. Yeah, I just wanted to touch on Joanna talking about how we didn't skip a beat and being open due to her valiant effort of preventing water from coming into the hardware store. That Thursday, we're open after the flood. That Thursday, we stay open until 9 through the weekend. Um, and the community showed up in Grove. They got here any way they could. The roads were closed. They drove their ATVs. They walked their tractors. And they showed up at Harry's and shared cocktails and beer and shared their flood stories and it was really beautiful to see i think everyone needed to really get it out and vent about what they went through and being that third place for them it was it was a beautiful thing you know you just mentioned a third place uh, at, at our second community meeting in montpelier uh yesterday a little bit different than here it took up the entire house chamber in the state house um people talked about a third place a lot uh, can you talk about that a little bit when it comes to this point? Yeah, um, because that's part of the reason that this is here. Uh, Abbott didn't really have one. Not a not a good one. I mean, a third place that they say you're you're at home and you're at work, and a third place is where libraries, coffee houses, that sort of thing, schools. And so we, the town would come together for various things. But if you didn't have kids in the school, you didn't go there. If you didn't have a reason to go to the library. No. So this kind of gave everybody a place to come. Um, and we, it, we we kind of knew, especially through COVID, we, we knew that this had become a place people got really glad they had here, but it wasn't until, at least to me, that this experience with the flood made it so apparent how important these types of places are for communities. Um, and, and Montpelier is not an exception. I think that that's something that people are really, really missing is to connect through places. That's where you find your friends. And um, this place is not just where the locals come together, but it's also where the locals get work. It's where the locals meet folks that are passing through. It's where everybody has a place to come. Um, it's not just the place to trip, place to conversation. Um, these are very, very important. And when the flood was happening and we were seeing, you know, not only feeling our own trauma, but seeing everybody else's trauma and they went to hearing these stories, um, and all the all the volunteers that showed up and said, "You will open, like you have to open, right? We're going to make sure you open." And it went from "Let's just lug everything out of the basement" to "Well, you have to make it look pretty. Where is anybody going to sit?" And it just totally took on a form of its own. Was people need this really bad? If they need it any other time, this is when they need it. They need a place to be able to come and relax after a hard day of moving muck and driving tractors, crying and flagging, just to be able to exhale. You know. Um, and we realized that that was an 
equally important, equally as important as bringing food to somebody. It, it, it feeds the soul and it, it keeps you from, it helps you deal with your trauma. Can you describe, uh, as I said, this is the fourth show we've done in the field, Montpelier, Barry, at Nelson's Hardware in Barry, and then uh, in Johnson last week. And this is our fourth. I think Hardwick maybe next. Uh, but and everybody has a similar story where the the adrenaline of of the first three days, it's like uh, running a, a, a marathon or uh, playing. You know, you're you, there's a high because you have to survive, and then you're sort of standing there. This happened to me in Bear Pond Books, actually, with standing with the owners of Bear Pond Books, and they. They're just standing there paralyzed about what do we do next? And then they, you start rebuilding, but then you hit a wall and you have to go home to bed for about three days. Uh, did that happen to you? It it definitely did, but it was not three days. I wish it had been three days. It was more like three weeks. Um, we had a lot of damage around our store, but we were open and it was just kind of adjusting to the new normal. Um, you get numb. I felt like the first three to four days was definitely a numbness for sure. But I wouldn't call it a marathon. I would call it a sprint. Like it was, like I mentioned before, it was, it was a week was happening every day. There was so much going on. Um, the town was rebuilding at record speed. We had literally ravines on either side of our building because we had to deal with the, the gas tank. We had contaminated soil. We had, the, we had structural issues. And then we needed big, we got to a point where, Hands and feet and shovels weren't enough. We needed big equipment before anybody could do anything else. So then stand still. And you, we started getting used to the chaos. And yet gawkers would, two weeks after it happened, drive down the road slowly taking pictures. Because that they were seeing it two weeks ago. Um, but we got kind of to a point where the trenches were finally filled. It looked a little bit more normal in the front of the building. And that's when it hit me. That's when all of a sudden everything slowed down. And I went, oh, my God, we have a lot to do. You know, it was like we're not in this we're not in the sprint anymore. We're not in this triage stage anymore. Now everything's kind of put together and the building's shored up and you can walk without falling and tripping or in, in a ditch or whatever and oh my god, now we have to now we have to be back. And that's when it really like the weight of it really hit. And is now and does that include now we have to go to the bank and borrow money? What what does that look like? I, I, I'll tell the story of Tim Heaney, who's a major landowner in, in, in uh, and landlord in, in Montpelier. He broke down on the in tears on the air, and I said, Tim, why don't you just go to Florida? Who needs this? And he said, it's not who we are, uh, and it's going to cost $2 million, and I'm going to the bank, and I'm going to borrow it. I'm going to mortgage the building again. Again. And it, Is that what you're facing? Um, and a lot, I don't know that. The bread. I you haven't even thought that far ahead. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's starting to settle. A lot of that's settling in, but um, we're not going to go anywhere. So we'll figure it out. Okay. That deserves a follow-up question um, that only a, a journalist would would ask, which is, you just said we're not going anywhere. Why not? You're, 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 you and your husband are lawyers. You could work anywhere in the world. Uh, why not just go to Asheville, North Carolina and chuck this? Who needs this? It's too hard. Cabot, Cabot is an incredibly special 
we relocated back to Vermont and found Cabot, and I say to myself, daily basis, I'm this ruined me. I can't go. <laughs> and I traveled at my my prior job. I traveled a lot and was in different cities and various places. And every time I can't wait, I'm home and I exhale. Like, but oh, the school is is. I don't know. It's got asbestos in it, and it's too small, and it, it, it's you're going to send the kids to Twinfield, and you're all fighting about X, Y, and Z. Another uh, day. There's nothing wrong with our school. It's all, it's all, it's all rumor, hyperbole, crazy silliness. I used to live in Asheville. <laughs> and, That's why I said it. Oh, <laughs> smart. Um, and when we were deciding where to live and settle, it was either Asheville or here. And granted, Asheville's weather, more to my liking, but this this place has felt more like home than any other place I've ever been. But why not Burlington? I know I know everybody in the audience is just howling at me right now, but why Cabot? There's something going on here. Well, I have two friends that lived here that I met in Asheville a couple decades ago, and they love it. I What I've noticed is, in my travels and living in California is whenever I met Vermonters, they would travel, but they always went back to Vermont. Always. Went. True. I came here from New Jersey and D.C. and Nashville, and I've been here 30 plus years. And there is something about coming back over the border, whether you're driving or flying. And it's, I don't know, you can exhale, right? You exhale. You do. You exhale. I, I guess it never crossed my mind. And this was happening, and I was watching it all unfold from the second story of this building. And never once in my mind did I think, well, this is it. I'm out of here. It was, we rebuild. We rebuild and we come back. But we rebuild smarter and we get this out. But we have to be here. And if we can't come back as we are, we need to. I don't know. That's why we fight hard for the school. It's in terms of community. It's part of what keeps. Children. You have two children. They're in the school. How do they like it? They love it. I mean, it's not for every, it's a tiny, I mean, just like small towns aren't for everyone, right? I mean, somebody else in Cabot could be like, I can't wait to get out of here because it, it is really small. It, there is a fishbowl aspect. Living in a Especially in February when it's dark at four in the afternoon. But, you know, we have a third place now. So people come and let go you know, or complain to each other about it and feel a camaraderie of, of what it is. Um, but, yeah, it, it, it's not for everybody, but it's certainly, I mean, in other, you can say whatever you want to say about Cabot School, but any other state, you would consider this a private school that people would pay money to children to. So it just depends on who you are, every kid. But they're, for me, to me and to others that are friends of mine, the speak to people hold their hearts. Different. I mean, the response to the flood just exists. It's a working class town. There are still a lot of fun, and people really care. And I mean, said we had half a dozen to a dozen tractors within an hour of the flood, waiting to see what they could do to get us out of the building. The number of people, if you had a truck and you had a tractor, I was I was talking to a farmer that lives. He actually isn't in Cabot, but this is part of his community does a lot of work here and at Hardwick and there was just no question. This is what you do. You, know? you go and you fill up at the gravel yard 
and normally you have to kick the guy's feet to wake him up. And instead, you had 30 trucks in line, and they were trucks that farmers pulled out of the woods because they knew they could get rock into it. For, and everybody, they didn't even think about what they were going to get paid or if they were ever even going to get the money back. This is what we do because this is their home. It remarkably, within two weeks of the flood happening, every single road but one habit put back to they all need to be patched up a little bit for winter, but they are passable. And it's not, you can't say that about all the communities. And I, when I say all the roads, I mean all. Like it was, there were places you could not go. And when the roads went out, they weren't just gully. They were like, it looked like bombs. So it just, and a lot of that was volunteer work. We have a very small road crew, but we had great leadership team board and together. And just speaks volumes about where we live. We've only got a few minutes left, and we have a surprised celebrity guest. Uh, Joanna Tebold is our guest, and Gina, her co-owner, is also with us, too. And there's a strange man taking uh, photographs, but our surprise celebrity guest is Betsy McKay. And let me tell you, Betsy McKay is a senior writer for the uh, Wall Street Journal, but more importantly, she was my classmate at college. Betsy, welcome to the show. It's great to see you again, Kevin, after how many, we're not going to say how many years because that would be bad. I think it's 40 plus, but who's counting? Um, so I'm sitting here in Harry's hardware store and uh, my old classmate, Betsy McKay, walks in the, uh, in the store and it turns out that she and her husband, whose name is Neil, Neil own the building. That is that houses the Harry's Hardware Store, and it turns out that th they bought the the building back in January, and then it flooded, and so now they've got to oh I don't know go get a mortgage or whatever, dig into the savings and buy it again, and pay for all these repairs. So it's just been a wonderful uh, serendipitous coincidence. Betsy, you you are of Cabot in some way. Yeah, in some way, my family is from here. So my great-great-grandparents built um, a big Victorian house in the middle of town. Can't miss it. Um, and it's been in the family ever since. My mother grew up here. Um, my sister and I actually grew up in Lindenville. Their dad taught at um, Lindenville State? State College, yes. Now, hold on, now part of Vermont State University, it's the Linden campus. Exactly. Name has changed a couple of times, but it's still the same place. And um, my sister and I, were, my mother was the last one to grow up, you know, fully grow up in Cabot. But my sister and I spent a lot of time here. We were here um, many weekends, uh, the summer. Um, I mean, it was, you know, 40 minutes away. And um, my parents uh, lived here every summer. The house isn't really heatable right now in the winter. So they lived here every summer for almost 30, 40 years, 35 years. Um, now that they can't, my husband and I um, are here part of the year. So Cabot has been in our family for a long time and um, it's a very special place for all of us. And we, the house has always passed down through the women in the family because there only were women. <laughs> so that makes it even more you know, take that patriarchy. Yeah, exactly. Um, um, so 
it's a special house for us and a special place. And my sister and I, my sister lives in Rutland. Um, we, uh, you know, want to keep it in the family and, and keep this, you know, this town special. Can, uh, can I ask you the question that my son in Brooklyn uh, asks me all the time, which is, um, it's a really long drive from New York to uh, to Montpelier or Cabot. Uh, so, why why would you do this? Well, um, it is a very long drive. You know, the contrast is so interesting and neat because New York is one of the biggest cities in the world, and Cabot is one of the smallest communities in the world. You get different things from both places. Um, so, uh, during the pandemic, we were here a lot. Um, it's just, you know, as Joanna and Gina were saying, it's a special place. I think that in, you know, I'm a person who left Vermont. I left Vermont and went to college. Um, I was like, I can't wait to get to the big city. I think in the world we live in today, um, you know, you can go through an entire day without talking to a single person, Right do everything you need to on your phone. You can go to the store. You don't have to talk to anybody. You don't even have to go to the store in many places. And in a small community like this, you have to need a So the thing that people are really looking for, like a place like this where they could just come and be with other people or in other parts of the world, you know, other parts, other places, the, the Starbucks is why everybody hangs out in Starbucks. You find in a community like this just in your daily life because people are... Everybody knows everybody, and everybody kind of needs everybody. And you really saw that with blood. People needed each other in a way. Um, even here, they don't in their daily You have some promotion to do. There's a cheese festival. Uh, can you do a quick promotion? Yes. On September 30th, uh, Cabot's, uh, Cabot's Fall Foliage Day, right? And um, there will be... if the first annual uh, Cheese and Culture Festival as part of that from 12 to 5 p.m. on the town common. Um, it's free to the public. And Even those of us from not, Cab- not from Cabot? <laughs> that, that's a joke. <laughs> <laughs> Especially, yes. Everybody, everybody, come and taste cheese. There are a lot of cheese makers from around northern Vermont and, um, um, coming. And there will be music and... Uh, uh, I'm excited about it. I'm not organizing it or anything. That's being organized by Cabot Arts, but um, it's it's going to be fun. And it, you know, it's, I think for everybody in Vermont, it's been a long summer, right? So it's a good way to sort of celebrate before winter. And I would add my own personal note before we sign off that um, that uh, I'm doing I'm doing a pledge to uh, no Amazon. Uh, doing all the shopping in downtown Montpelier, or if you're in Cabot, do your shopping right here in Harry's Hardware. But uh, resist the lure of the easy online purchase. These communities, whether they, whether it's uh, Bear Pond Books, Capital Grounds, Harry's Hardware, come in, and when you pay two bucks for a coffee or four bucks for a beer or whatever, round up to the next dollar because if these people aren't here. Uh, we're going to be a severely diminished community. 
That is our show for today. Oh, I'm getting texts now from friends who are saying, you're at Harry's? Incredible. That's our show for today. My thanks to Gina, to Joanna, to Betsy, to Neil, to Mike Hogan, and to Dale Brown, uh, all of whom, uh, whether they were being rescued in bucket loaders or um, feeding these people or fixing the roads uh, or just providing a place for us to come and gather uh, they're why we keep coming back. Uh, if you want to be a sh- guest on the show, send us a suggestion for a topic. Drop me a line. The show becomes a podcast at WDEVradio.com. And, of course, you can always listen live to the show on the radio. I'm here Wednesdays and Fridays, usually in the studio. I'll be back Friday. Uh, we're going to talk to a gentleman uh, about the fact that he has built 57 uh, grade schools in Afghanistan and he'll be, and he'll be live on the show. Remember, we're going to break for the governor at noon to who's giving us a flood update. You can find me at kevinkls.com where you can subscribe to my weekly newsletter called conflict of interest. I wrote about Montpelier uh, flood relief and the Trump indictments recently. I'm on Twitter and Instagram if you want to follow me. My podcast, Conflict of Interest, examines the issue we deal with on this show. I'll be back Friday uh, to talk about schools in Afghanistan. We'll talk about the Trump indictments, obviously, because he will be surrendering tomorrow. And that's going to be a fascinating uh, talk about uncharted waters. Here we go. As always, we'll talk politics in Vermont and the nation. My garden, my flooded basement, and everything else on my mind and yours Thanks to everyone from the town of Cabot. Uh, What an incredibly provocative and profound two hours. Uh, The sounds of rebuilding are all around us. Our show is produced by me, engineered and made possible sometimes by Danny McGivergan, but today by Greg Titus at the board and all the folks at WDEV. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm Kevin Ellis, and we'll see you back here Friday on Vermont Viewpoint Live Radio. (laughs) 